We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room Podcast and Blue Wire Network. What do you think about the Laker team now? Do you follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Mike, no Darius today. And in the consistent revolving door of the Lakers roster, the Lakers have added two players since last time we recorded, Darren Collison and Stanley Johnson, with Isaiah Thomas not getting his second 10-day contract renewed. Mike, I expect there to be a great deal of roster turnover, probably between now and whatever the final version of this roster is. And that can look different in a, a couple different ways. Um, but Stanley Johnson in particular popped to me in that game. And we've been pining for that guy with wing size who runs around and does stuff and does wing things, you know, and runs the floor and just... uh I was really struck when he took the court. He's like, I'm going to get up into Harden. I'm going to like he runs around and he makes mistakes of commission sometimes where I think he had like five fouls in that game. And some of them were like, oh, what are you doing? And he's going to have those types of moments. But I really thought that his energy and spirit and like I always talk about this with Malik Monk, but having a guy who's his size that's able to do that, just his athleticism, his size, his wingspan and motor more than anything else. I think that's probably the attribute that we've undervalued too much on this roster the most. Just a guy who goes and sometimes it's going to be dumb, you know, and sometimes it's going to have uh, bad results. But I thought that his presence really illuminated kind of a deficiency on the team, having him on the floor and it looking so natural, Mike, was something that really stood out to me. I'm of course, we're all looking for silver linings and things like that. But I think that him being such a, a fish to water with this team really speaks to kind of what we need in that bigger picture of when the, the the dust does settle and we do make whatever moves that we make. That type of player, and maybe it is Stanley Johnson, is super important to this team. Yeah, Peter, I think the reason that he stood out so much is because just the lack of that type of size and athleticism on the rest of the roster. Aside from LeBron, and but that's LeBron is doing so many other things that just being a super huge wing athlete 
is not the thing that you're first focusing on um, with LeBron. And it, and it comes out in other ways because with Johnson, the way that he's deploying that athleticism is for all of the things that aren't being deployed by the other guys uh, for whatever reason. And it goes back to that conversation we've had all season long about the looking up and down the roster and trying to find the type of guys that can do those little things. And I say little, but they're big things, but in terms of role player things that really have to get done. And so I, the second that I saw him out there, it does kind of in your head, there's something that clicks in there. It's like, Oh yeah. Yep. This is why this kind of this wing player on the defensive end and I think the, the interesting part to get to now is there are going to be certain lineups where like he was better when Westbrook was sitting um, in some ways because the lack of shooting that you're going to have, it's that whole story over again where, well, ideally you have a guy like that. And that's probably why Johnson isn't isn't locked up in some long term deal. Right. Is that his offense? Yeah, 25 year old athletic wing. That's yeah. something that is very valuable in the NBA. If he didn't have deficiencies, he'd be on a roster. Right. And so there. But but for this specific roster. There is such a need for those athletic things that I think you can kind of you you figure out the other areas and say that's fine, especially be, because they're not. This is kind of part of your no big island thing to an extent. That's Since right. They're this not playing. Yeah, he can basically be your he can instead of DeAndre or Dwight, Stanley Johnson can be out there as the guy that's not going to shoot at all. That's just going to sort of set screens and run. And if he gets the ball in the corner and occasionally has to shoot fine, but really just pass and kick and cut like it's just there there are certain lineups where you don't want to have that plus Russ and maybe somebody else but i think that there's there are there are places where he can fit into the rotation right now and and definitely help this team one of my beliefs in this roster is uh the collective ball handling of the team now we've had a lot of guys out that qualify as that but the ability we we went on that huge run right we were getting blown out and there's some this has happened a few times where we've been down by a lot going into the fourth quarter. And then we go on some monster run of which the opponent letting their guard down. You know this, Mike, and you say this all the time is this happens every night in the NBA that that type of thing develops. That said, I think that there's a broader theme that's developing in in the absence of ad the lineups that are playing well are basically the LeBron at the five groups and nobody else. We're getting killed when LeBron is is not there. That said, having five guys on the floor, this is a big part of that run that I do take value out of, Mike, that isn't that, oh, just the other team let their guard down type of thing. There was a, a lineup where, in during that stretch, so most of that stretch, I think 14 points of that lead was trimmed off with Russ on the bench, then another nine once he came back in the game, and then he biffed a couple plays at the end. Maybe we get into Westbrook a little bit later, because I thought that game illustrated uh, some of his biggest weaknesses and biggest concerns. That said, on that in that lineup, Stanley Johnson was the worst ball handler out of all of them, Mike. He's the worst ball handler on the floor. Stanley Johnson's an L.A. guy. And what's funny is this whole style of play that I've been talking about is a very L.A. style of basketball. We'll get more into it later, but there's like Willie West at Crenshaw was a, a pressing, trapping, up-tempo team. It's a very Hooper style of play, and a lot of the guys that come from L.A. are Hoopers, right? The guys that can can get their own. Stanley Johnson like was one of those Drew guys. League, uh, like little Drew League action? Yeah, yeah, Drew League. There you go. Drew League, it's got okay. that. That is one of the elements of it, right? You got to play defense. You got to play basketball like responsible adults too, right? 
That said, there's a great deal of strategy in this style of play. There's a great deal of, and and a big part of that is the lineups that you play and the people that you play. The reason I bring all that up is Stanley Johnson was one of those dudes, Mike. I've known who Stanley Johnson is since he was a teenager. He was not that much smaller than he is now. And when you're 16, 17 years old, he was whooping dudes at modern day, man. He was so good. And his game has kind of gone off track, right? He was drafted, I think, eighth by Detroit. Didn't didn't pan out, has bounced around, finds himself in this position. But the point, Mike, is that he was not one of those like off-ball, 3-and-D type of guys. He spent most of his life as the guy with the ball in his hands. And of course, that's true of every player in the NBA to an extent. But Stanley Johnson can handle the ball. He, he had this one play where we kicked it to him on the perimeter. And he's certainly not a good three-point shooter, but he's also not DeAndre Jordan, you know what I mean? Like he's a 30% three-point shooter. And there's always the point that you make of there's a difference between a guy who doesn't shoot them at all and a guy who shoots them poorly. It's just a, a whole different equation. So ball gets kicked out to, to Johnson. I don't remember who, who was the drive and kick. He catches, doesn't even shot fake, but just goes to the basket and off of one dribble, dishes it off to Mello for a dunk. And what it is, is there's this constant drive and kick sequence that when you have five guys on the court, it's like... Shot fake, dribble to the basket, get all the way to the rack if you can. If they step in front of you, you make that decision around the free throw line, kick it out to the three-point shooter, relocate to the empty spot so that the guy you kicked it out to has the same driving lane that you did. But it's this constant sequence in which Johnson, again, he's out of the league for a reason, but a big wing athlete that can also handle the ball, Mike. I think that's super important to maintain the overall integrity of what we do is really important. And so having just on-ball skills, one of the things I'm so interested about in what this team is torturously <laughs> turning into is that that ability to handle the ball is we're a five-out team that's built around ball handling where most five-out teams are built around shooting. So that ability for multiple guys to be able to handle the ball, I think is super important within those small lineups that are starting to thrive. All right. So let me, let me stick on this point and kind of follow up back to you and ask you a question about it. So if you've got in this, in one of these theoretical lineups, the idea being if guys can handle, then the ball can't really get stuck in a certain part. So is there therefore a big difference between Malik Monk and Wayne Ellington in the sense where like if Monk catches it and you obviously have to close out to him, but then he can beat you off the dribble. Whereas Wayne, you're going to close out to him and he can still, you know, he can make a crossover and move it on. But like, is that, is that a, a big factor there where it's like Monk plus LeBron plus THT plus, you know, like, is that factor into your thinking? No, that's a great question. And I think speaks to a bigger part of the this team is I think that we've got two different lineups, right? I wish Darius was here for me to say this, but I tweeted this yesterday and I've tweeted, I've texted you guys some version of this, but like if Wayne Ellington's jumper wears a smoking jacket and reads classical literature, then Malik Monk's jumper can go on a 36 hour trip to Vegas and stay up for, you know, two days straight and then show up to work on Monday. <laughs> and like nothing happened. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. And but so he's fine. Yeah. No hangover. No, no hangover. Yeah. He gets yeah. his job done. He's good at what he does. Like he, he didn't lose his stride at all. When Ellington's jumper goes to bed at nine o'clock at night, right? Like listening to smooth jazz and all that. Malik Monk's jumper is up at three o'clock in the morning. So that's a, there's a whole spirit to that, and there's an upside to it, and there's a downside to it. But so the distinct, hold on, hold yeah, on, yeah, just yeah, pause, yeah. pause, 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 pause. <laughs> I need. Hold a, on, let's take a break. Let's take a break, Mike. Let's throw it to right. break. Yeah, go ahead. Lakers basketball is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself by searching all over the internet to find Lakers tickets anymore. 
Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site, and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. I'm excited to see this Lakers squad get out and transition this year, and there's nothing like seeing a great fast-breaking team in person. Visit TickPick.com slash LFR today and use promo code LFR to save $10 on your first order of Lakers tickets. Are you looking for ways to skip the trip to the post office and dodge all that hectic holiday shopping traffic? Why not save time and money with Stamps.com? Stamps.com lets you compare rates, print labels, and access exclusive discounts on UPS and USPS services all year long. It just makes sense, especially if your business sends more mail and packages during the holidays. Whether you're selling online or running an office or side hustle, Stamps.com can save you so much time, money, and stress during the holidays. Access all the post office and UPS shipping services you need without taking the trip and get discounts you can't find anywhere else, like up to 40% off USPS rates and 76% off UPS. Save time and money this holiday season with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code FILMROOM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter the code FILMROOM. Okay, here's what I need. I need a video, and I don't know what the, the rights are and all that kind of stuff. So on, it, it might be tough on Instagram, but, you know, I need this, I need Wayne Ellington's jumper with some of that smooth jazz, right, uh-huh. that you're talking about, <laughs> laid, laid behind it. And then I need, like, a, like a, a cut. Yeah. And then I need Malik Monk to come on and I need the music to shift immediately. It's like um, speed to, metal at that to, point. Yeah. Not even. I mean, I I'm not big on this kind of thing, but some like Michael Thompson listens to a lot of house music, like a lot of, you uh-huh. know, like techno. I don't know if it's Calvin Harris or I, I'm again, this is not my world, so I don't want to speak out of turn. I'm sure some of our listeners could uh, could tweet us with what the best representation is, but something like that. Uh, and and yeah, I need us- to see. When yeah. we tweet this out today, tweet tweet us your best um, Malik jump, Malik Monk jumper music of what his jumper sounds like. Yeah, but I would love to see a cut uh, of like of both guys shooting, but then the music just ha- and the way that you would edit <laughs> it together uh, is really exciting to me. Even if it's just for our personal text thread, um, absolutely. So, I, I, yeah. I will I will get to that. Yeah, because it's <laughs> and that, it's a thing. And so the distinction between Monk and Ellington to me is this is such a great question, Mike. That we have a crew that is able to play that. Uh, up in the club at 3 a.m. type of basketball. And that's Monk. It's none. Stanley Johnson is of this ilk. Uh, LeBron, Russell Westbrook. Reeves. Re- right, Reeves. Okay, Reeves is a great example of this too. Gosh, I, I can go in three different directions. Yeah. With Monk, his ability to attack the basket is what distinguishes him from uh, from Ellington and that ability to get to the hoop. Ellington is, to me, part of... And, and a lesser part because he does make mistakes, but he's part of our responsible adults lineup uh, that like I ha- think half is, court execution, late game yeah. in the playoffs. You're not getting out and running anyway. You know, yeah, right. the game is slowed down. Yeah. Now, mind you, ideally, you have a better player than him in that spot. Right. If it's the last five minutes of a playoff game, when well, Ariza, probably, Ariza can do sort of the no, same thing. Yeah. Ariza is part of that lineup. That's exactly. 
you're exactly on the right track. There are a couple of guys, two two of our role players, and that's why there are two most important role players to me, can be part of both lineups, and that's Reeves and Ariza. Ariza was a better version of Stanley Johnson when he was younger. The way he could fill a wing, it, like very similar. There was a play mic in the first quarter, right after Johnson checked in for the first time, where we shockingly left somebody open for three. I don't remember who it was, and they drilled it. We inbound the ball to LeBron, and LeBron just flings it cross court up ahead. Now, mind you, this is a made shot, and the old adage is it's a lot tougher to run off of made shots, and it is, certainly, but this particular sequence and scenario is what I think where a big advantage that we have over opponents is. The ball gets outletted by arguably the best outlet passer in NBA history to Stanley Johnson right around half court, and Johnson was running, but... LeBron threw him open, as Darius would say, threw it a little bit ahead of him. And you see it. This is around the 550 mark of the first quarter, if you want to look this play up. So he throws it ahead and, and Johnson puts it in extra gear to catch the ball. It would, if he was running at the same pace, it would have gone out of bounds. So the fact that he has that extra gear is something that not a lot of our other players have. But when he catches it, Brooklyn's in transition defense. And they didn't defend it poorly. They got back because that's the scouting report against us. But that matchup in that moment was Stanley Johnson right around half court with the ball in his hands against a backpedaling Patty Mills. Because that's who had responsibility on that size. And Johnson caught it and has the ball handling ability to be like, I'm just going to drive to the basket. Mills, it was a block charge 50-50 call that we ended up getting our way and Johnson shot two free throws. There are going to be mistakes that come out of moments like that. But having those guys that can run and exploit athletic deficiency in space, I think the collective of Johnson and Monk and none, even though we haven't seen him, none is this type of player that can operate at that high rate of speed in the open court. I think that open court play is something that that we really need to emphasize as much as possible while being able to have those responsible adult lineups, Mike. And so the couple of guys that can play in both are great, but most of our role players are one or the other. And I also think that while I'm on board with all that, I'm I'm thinking while you're describing it, well, man, it's almost January. We don't know which of these guys are going to continue to be available. Like, it's just it just stinks to think about this Lakers season in this context where all of the all of these possibilities and ideas like it would have been would have been great to go through a training camp with a bunch of practices and some preseason games and then kind of get into some kind of a rhythm and then understand what the identity is and then have so I'm just wondering how they shape shift with what they have right now and with in adding Stanley Johnson in so that means somebody else is going to be out and so Bradley didn't play last game does that mean is he out like does is do, in fact does Johnson just get that roster spot because that's the one mm-hmm. non-guaranteed deal you know right. then if if you're not able to play either of your actual bigs uh, you know, legit minutes. So then, then what happens? Do you, do you have to get another big? So there's just, there's still so much that they, they have to accomplish. Uh, and in the meantime, Pete, and maybe we can get, I'll, I could tease this for later because we're not quite done with this segment, but looking at that, how the Western conference looks right now, maybe that's part of the saving grace is that there's a bunch of teams that are a mess and you, and in essence, you dealt, you somehow, even though it's almost January, you still do have some time to figure this out before you try to make a run. It's just complicated. And this season has been very, very complicated for a number of teams, no more so than the Los Angeles Lakers. Yes. We also made it a little more complicated on on ourselves as well. There have been some own goals along the way. Part of changing your identity is realizing that you have to. 
my belief, and you can please correct me or, or add in where you think that this is inaccurate or more detailed to give it more color, is that we wanted to go into the season starting AD at the five. Frank Vogels said this explicitly while I was sitting next to you at a pregame press conference, that the idea was to put uh, Ariza next to LeBron and AD. But then the plan B, when Ariza was hurt, I, I, I think that before the season, we wanted to go smaller but didn't believe that we had to go smaller. And I think that the, what the first part of this season has shown is that it's actually a necessity of this team that we have to play smaller. It's not something where, oh, you know, Ariza's out. We'll just play DeAndre Jordan. We need to install our drop coverages and our defenses. Let's sign Avery Bradley because he knows the system and he's the type of player that we're used to. It's, it's always struck me, Mike, that the last two guys acquired were Bradley and DJ coming into the season outside of that initial flurry where everybody gets signed. And yeah. so what I thought the first, but again, I thought that first part of the season we were like, and you even expressed this a bit on the pod. It was like, look, we'll get there eventually. We'll go small eventually when we get healthier, but for now we're going to play our way, our system. We won a title with this not too long ago, but I think what the first part of the season has shown is that you can't like, we have to go small. We have to go in that direction. And so it is January, but in the standings, they haven't killed us, right? Like, and that's part of the with COVID going around the way that it has. And this season has been another season of survival. But this transformation, Mike, like in order for us to go in this direction, we're in such a different place now than we were at the beginning of the season, just in terms of the concept of the team. LeBron played like 34 minutes at the five the other day with both Dwight Howard and DeAndre Jordan available. I know we're shorthanded, but we're not shorthanded at the five position. So the the shift in mentality from a coaching perspective of where, and we still have a ways to go. I think that's part of what had to happen for us to get to that point. So it's also part of why I'm bullish going forward is that the guys that we play, the lineups that we play and all of that going forward are going to be different guys than we played earlier, which were very much against kind of the natural shape and style of the team. Well, so much of what you just talked about has to do more with one player and I think it's Russell Westbrook than it does. I think it's LeBron James, but continue. Well, okay. LeBron can play any style in any, in any system and win a championship. He can play big. He can play small. He can play in the wing. He can have the ball. He can play center. It doesn't matter. So LeBron to me is a system unto himself. And sure, at this stage, like getting through a regular season, can it maximize? But I, so that's where I don't think it's LeBron. I think Westbrook has very clear ways in which he's not going to be effective um, and on, yes. on the court. And therefore, since LeBron can do other things, and AD would apply in a lot of ways to what LeBron does. AD can play however you need him to play. So that thinking of the team, which we've spent a lot of time on, has kind of, like, even the last game is a microcosm of that and what Russell Westbrook was doing on the court. And so I... That to me was the shift that they made more than anything else. And I thought that early in the season, that's why they would be able to at least tread water. Um, whatever they were, if they were playing kind of what they what they knew, they had the two big centers on the roster. Uh, we hadn't seen them yet play a different system. And if the, this is where we get into the if and but, you know, whining part of the season. 16 and 18, right, is not what you would have expected Except if I would have given you all of the various injuries and especially LeBron missing the 12, then AD being out and then COVID hitting. But it's still the one constant in there who's played almost every game is Russell Westbrook. Yeah. 
And that still to me is the thing that I think some people on the outside would have thought coming in, well, that's the point of getting Russell Westbrook is that if you're going to be missing LeBron X games and you're going to be missing Anthony Davis next game, this is the one guy who can still be on the court and kind of lift the collective boat. But I don't know if that's the way that I view how Russell Westbrook, you know, kind of contributes to uh, at this stage. Like to me, it was really more about being that clear third guy and trying to find a way to compliment LeBron and AD. But yet the way that, that some people are looking and expecting is that he's going to be the one that can, that can change the way the result of a team on a nightly basis. So that's a, that's a whole that's a whole thing on Russ basically, but and, and I don't mean to neuter to neuter the point down to it. But no, that's, no, it's that's it's where all I was tied going. together. It's all tied together, man. Let's take another break and come back and talk some Russ. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The reason why I think uh, why I think it's LeBron is because I think that the decision to prioritize acquiring a playmaker was done in service of keeping LeBron as a superstar for as long as possible. The one silver lining of this recent stretch is LeBron is killing teams at the five. The thing about those lineups, too, is with all of the injuries that we have, there is a couple of like that guy shouldn't be playing or shouldn't be like wouldn't normally be in the rotation if uh, he, he wouldn't normally be in the rotation, but he is right now alongside LeBron. And LeBron's still killing it within those lineups. He's a 30-point-per-game efficient playmaker. Like, defensively, he's playing, you know, really all-NBA type of defense since he's moved to, to more and more to that position. And now there's the downside of, like, well, and we're still losing. We'll get to that in a second. But I think that the whole point of why we went in the direction we did is to extend LeBron's superstardom. And the best way to do that is at the the four and five position. And that's more of who he is now. Now, your point about LeBron being a system of his own is true, of course. But I think that as he gets older, he is less capable athletically of beating guys with speed and with with athleticism like jumping but still is dominant and more dominant than ever than ever in terms of mentally and and physical strength he's also turned into just a killer shooter like on his fadeaway he's got so many like go-to you're never going to block this type shots but in order to do that you needed playmaking you needed somebody else to take over the responsibilities that he's not abdicating of course but he's not going to handle the playmaking as much so he can set screens and play five, the five spot and dominate in the way that he has been. So then it's a question of who do you acquire? We can't talk about players around the league, but we landed on Russell Westbrook. So we say we're going to get a playmaker. We just 
Russell Westbrook's the guy that's available. But like you said, Mike, he comes with all sorts of he can do this, he very much can't do that type of decision. So in a, in that way, I would I would argue that LeBron is the person that catalyzed the decision to go bigger or to go smaller as a group. Russ is the guy who made it so that we have to. If we had a guy who was a pull-up jump shooting threat or a guy who was a, a that people didn't just leave alone on the perimeter, Mike, that could hit threes and all of that, the two big lineup, we, that would have been much more effective, right? And so that's that's kind of the distinction that I that I make there. But then in a game like Brooklyn, Russ was frustrating. And I think that what you were saying before the break about the third option thing has been really true. He's played in every game. He's been the one guy that's been available. But with LeBron missing so much of the first part of the season and AD out now, the times where Russ has actually been the number three guy have been few and far between this season. And when he has to be the number two guy next to a, a better player or the number one guy surrounded by vet minimums, I've, I've thought his play has really dropped off since AD went out. And it speaks to the idea that he needs to be either the second or third best guy on the floor to really thrive. And the data backs this up too. But when he moves into that number one or number two, two role, Mike, a lot of his deficiencies, like he's, it's not going to work for the same reason. It's never worked when he's played that role. That's a really good way to frame it. So that was part of our whole Russell Westbrook kind of podcast series that we did in August or whatever it was. And the concept was almost all with LeBron and AD healthy that we were discussing it because when the, when the, those guys are out there and what the defense has to do to account for them leaves all of these holes for somebody yes. with athleticism to um to take advantage of but when when they're not and so basically like think about how the Lakers played the Rockets when it was Westbrook and uh Harden in that playoff series and they were basically just content Russ, you shoot whenever you want to. We're going to we're going to uh, you know, we're going to come and help at the rim on you some, but Westbrook isn't the best finisher um at no. the rim. He's as you and that was the thing that we saw the most in that Brooklyn game is that he was getting in there, but he is he's going so fast and he's not he doesn't have that sort of kind of slow it down and just make sure that you finish w- whatever way. He's kind of rushing to get it onto the glass and when you do that, you guys probably know from just playing pickup yourself like if you don't have that one element of slowdown, um, which LeBron does brilliantly, by the way, like watch once LeBron gets to the rim, his body almost pauses for a second. And then he, mm-hmm. with his hand, will sort he knows of how lay to decelerate. It Deceleration yeah. is so important in basketball. And so, and not a lot of. Yeah. And especially to finish. Right. Especially to finish. That's when you need the deceleration. So it's just like that's always how Russ has been. That's for Russ has always been Russ. So when people are like, oh, I can't believe like this is what Russ has done. And he's also had the same shot selection for most of his career. But when LeBron and AD are both on the court, there's just not enough of the ball, almost period, for him to get into those layers of the shot selection where it becomes especially problematic. And and that's all of the stuff that we're seeing right now. And it also, on the defensive side of the court, I think those were the parts where, you know, there were the memes were going around in some of the videos, right, where where he just got caught ball watching Patty Mills. Or sorry, he, mm-hmm. he got ball watching while Patty Mills relocated to the corner, and Russ is just yes. sort of staring at the ball and not going out to cover Mills, um, who of course was just absolutely brutalizing the Lakers at that point. So those are also things that have just happened. This is what the Russell Westbrook experience has been, you know, for throughout his career. So it's just 
those are the parts of that that game being the microcosm and not having Davis out there or LeBron out there. And then the last point I guess I would make, Pete, was just that, you know, without getting too much into specific salaries, but the way that Russ is being paid does mean that the rest of the roster is going to have some limited options as, as opposed to, you know, like what, what LeBron and what AD are getting. But you're basically left with all the vet mins. And then your mid-level exception, which uh, Kendrick Nunn has not played yet. And then, you know, Taylor Horton, Taylor Horton Tucker, essentially. So that's a lot of different stuff, but it's just they. this has part, been part of the Westbrook experience. And all of the theory that we talked about had the two stars next to him. And that hasn't been the case for a lot of this season. And I think that that's, that's part of why we're seeing what the struggles have been. There's so much meat on that bone. You, you hit so many really important points. I want to start with the with his finishing. The way that I look at Russell Westbrook's finishing is that there is a trade-off between volume and efficiency that happens as a function of how fast he's going, right? He creates layup opportunities that other players do not create. And he creates a volume of them that that uh that other players do not create. Within the finishing of that, now there's a couple of good things that come from that, a couple of bad things that that come from that. The good things is that he creates, and this is one of the biggest reasons that I, I think highly of him as a player, is he creates a lot of cheap points. He There are a lot of situations where he'll drive down that left side and veer into the paint against, and it's like a one-on-three situation, but because his man has his his hips turned and someone else is still, you know, getting organized, finding their man, he just gave us an easy two points, and they're the type of points during the game that, like, you don't, like, it's just another play type of thing. It can kind of fall back into the wallpaper, but it, these are really important moments in the game. And so the volume of that, to be able to get nine layup attempts in a game is important. Now, he finishes those at about a mid-50s type of clip, and that's really bad, Mike. And that's part of uh, to go along with the deceleration and going too fast. I think he has small hands, too. When I watch him, like, there are so many plays where he's cupping it with one hand as he goes up, and then when he turns it over, like, he'll miss dunks. He'll, you know, dunk it, and it'll go, like, across the rim. I just don't think he's got big enough hands to... Like if he had bigger hands, it would skyrocket his finishing percentage. So the ball slip out of his hands. But my my argument is that it's not a matter of finishing. It's not a matter of comparing how guys finish layups. It's relative to, from a statistical basis, it's relative to what would you get on a normal play? So if Russell Westbrook driving to the rim to get a layup is going to get you two points 57% of the time. That's a 1.14 points per possession. Now, Compared to somebody else shooting a layup at 70%, that's obviously better. But if they're only getting two per game, give me the guy that's going to shoot 57% on nine attempts per game. But then it becomes really frustrating when he has his three for nine night where he does not finish well or or at that 50% type of range. So that's kind of where I'm at on that particular element. Yeah, I thought you're the way the first point that you made there was so smart, like the way that you the volume of it and eventually that still being a more efficient option, like Westbrook driving to the rim, like the fact that he can get there so often in that gift. And it's part of also why it's like his mistakes are so loud that we we do focus less on the the six other times that he gets to the bucket and either lays off a nice pass, right, or finishes himself. So it is it is an important thing to lay out. And I'm glad that you did that. Where I want to take this, if we can, before we get out of here, is so the Lakers are going to be without Anthony Davis for a while longer. LeBron has had, who's about to turn 37, 
has had some pretty significant usage, um, even though it's coming at the center spot and teams have absolutely no answer for him there. And he's scoring more. He's assisting less. But this right now, to bring this back to Russ, this is the Russ that we're going to get for the next month or so. It's not going to change. It's not going to suddenly become a different player. Um, maybe that can evolve some once Anthony Davis gets back, but then I think that's even going to be trickier because Russ is going to be used to playing a certain way. So where what I think is part of the saving grace of this season can be is what we alluded to earlier in that the whole Western Conference is kind of a mess. Uh, taking out Golden State and Phoenix, who, by the way, are just getting started on their run um, from COVID. Mm-hmm. Now, they have enough of a cushion. And they have enough other players where, like, they're going to be fine. They have, you know, other than Utah, they've got eight fewer losses right now than Memphis, than the Clippers. You know, in in fact, it's 10 fewer losses than the Clippers and the Nuggets. But Paul George is going to be out for a while. Like, the Clippers are in some trouble. The Nuggets are just holding on for dear life with Jokic playing the literal best statistical season of all time right now, barring some, like, wilt years. Mm -hmm. You know, Dallas has Luka out and is kind of a mess uh, Minnesota just entered their COVID situation. The Spurs have actually been really good lately, and yet they're 14 and 18. So they're like that that range still, Pete. They're the four seed. Like Memphis has some distance already emerging there with four games in the loss column. But, you know, the Clippers, Nuggets, there, there isn't some, this isn't some group that the Lakers can't find a way to stick around in um, while they get other stuff figured out. And that wouldn't have been the case. In previous years, uh, nope. this is basically like what the East. Yeah, yeah, this is basically what the East has been like. So that's what has been frustrating. I think this most recent losing streak, where they've had a couple opportunities to win, but like since I got COVID, um, they what's they've been down by like twenty in each of the last three games, and so they're starting to get guys back. Though there's going to be some way I think of uh, Frank Vogel's going to be back. I don't know which which game yet, but in the next couple, I think that'll give them a boost again, and. They've just got to find a way to kind of tread, keep treading this water, stay within range of that mix in the Western Conference table uh, has is going to help them do so, I think. That's absolutely the case, Mike. The West had an opportunity to kill the Lakers in the first half of this season. And it's not to say that they won't eventually get there, but we're not out of anything of any significance. Like, it's still very plausible that we host a first round playoff series, despite everything that's happened through almost the first half of, of the year. Now, a lot of things have to change and we certainly need to get healthy. A big part right now, though, Mike of us going down 20 every game is we've reached a point with our, with our injuries and roster continuity where we get to like catastrophic failure moments for large stretches of every game. For example, mellow at the five. Right. Mellow at the five with no supporting big wing or anything around like like if you play Mellow at the five, there's a bunch of things you have to do to cover up for it. And at the end of the day, like you're not going to be a good team in those minutes. Like there's things that the coaches can do and lineups and things like that. But, Mike, it's not like, you know what I'm saying? Like all roads kind of end to varying degrees of bad. And that is a big part of why we lose. You look at LeBron and on a game like that, he's like, what a plus nine in the, in 38 minutes or whatever. And in the 44 minutes or so, uh, the, the last uh, couple of games, we've been like a minus 43 when LeBron's been on the bench. So 
it's I think we need like one more guy back. Like if we got a Reza back in the next couple of games, or if we get a Reza and Reeves back, we well, avoid Reeves, a lot. Reeves of, should be sooner. Yeah, Reeves should be sooner because he's should, he yeah, entered oh, the right. protocols like a week earlier. He's getting close to the end of his run here. I I just I, I want to speak on the LeBron point quickly, and then one other thing in the standings in terms of schedule difficulty to touch on. Um, but LeBron, I think what he's doing right now right, is a lot of it is geared towards his own success in terms of scoring with ease and efficiently and in terms of, like, making the key block or steal on defense. But it's not all of the uniting sort of team-moving things that he would typically do in one of his different roles. And that, I think, is reflected as much in the plus-minus as anything else, where teams are are just like, yeah, we can't do a single thing with this version of LeBron James, but nobody else is going to do anything against us. Right. And we can then just score on you on the other end. So like LeBron's going to look great, but it's one of the rare times where he's not really lifting all of the rest of the um, he's not really like keeping all of the rest of the boats afloat in the same way. We don't have role players right now. Like our role players aren't good for a couple of reasons. We you know, I think we made some mistakes on the roster and where like I've been worried about our five position where right now, like Dwight should play. I just don't think he should start. We should, he should be on the floor when LeBron is not because otherwise we're way too small in our current circumstances. But between that and, and our injuries, we don't have any connectors, Mike. We don't have guys who just move the ball, make the right play. Ariza, that's why Ariza and Reeves are the two most important role players on the team because they do that. Then I think that that idea of galvanizing an entire group rather than just dominating himself. In some ways, I would argue that LeBron is galvanizing some pretty bad lineups. And when, when he's at the, at the oh, five, yeah, in gym, for sure, for sure. But, but to your point, it's like, he's playing great and we're still losing games. Part of that's just a personnel. Like we have bad players on the floor too much who just showed up a couple of days ago and signed with the team type of thing. But the other part of that is that we don't have our connectors right now. And I think that there, we just need like one more body to get to the point where we're playing fewer catastrophic lineups. I just wanted to tie bow on that last point about these, the standings. Uh, and so right now you saw a lot of graphics on Christmas day about like schedule difficulty, right? And how moving forward, the Lakers have the most difficult schedule basically in the league. And I think that that's probably going to end up being about half true, but you can throw out some of that just based on what we're going to see with COVID is now any team that it hasn't hit yet. It's about to. And once one guy gets it, that means everybody else starts to get tested. And that means that it's just literally the same thing that's happened with the Lakers. A couple guys are going to go down every day. So that's going to even out some of where these games and it looks like, well, the Lakers still have to have to go to this city, that city, this city. In the next three weeks, they may, since they'll be like Chicago and like uh, Charlotte, they'll be about the three, the first three teams, not Boston soon, like Toronto soon, where those teams are going to actually have all their guys back in a week. And then they're going to be playing all of these teams that are, that are missing a guy or a guy or two. And so that should Pete to me, that should even out some of what the schedule difficulty is based on the fact that then the Lakers can finally start to build some level of cohesion. Yeah. That's something like, how could you determine what the hardest schedule is ahead in these conditions? You don't even know who's going to be available to play. And it's, it's really sad what's happening around the league and, you know, around, around the world right now with, with this, um, it's a battle of survival, Mike. It's something that we got to get through. But where we're at, I, I know I sound like a crazy person, optimistic about about where we're going. We've gone through a transformation with a lot of different uh, 
injuries and a lot of different circumstances and a lot of own goals along the way. But it's not uh, it's not unsalvageable. And I think even somebody like Stanley Johnson hitting the floor and being a fish to water is indicative of that's one of the things when you got vet minimum guys, if a couple of them don't work, Mike. Bring a couple other vet minimum guys who are sitting at home right now in into and ideally they can play a tenth man, eleventh man type of role. Anyhow, um, this is still a very fascinating season to me. Got the Rockets tomorrow. We'll have another pod before that game. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. And Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. It will. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! Right! Unbelievable. What a victory. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.